Hi everyone, welcome back to the HR Leaders Podcast. Did you know that 1 billion people will need to reskill in by 2030? And 30% of jobs are at risk of automation by 2030? And 83% of organizations are already experiencing the skills gap. On today's episode, I'm joined by Michael Howes, who's the president of Workforce Skills at Pearson. During the episode, Michael shares how Pearson are solving the workforce skills challenge and they're helping organizations understand, maintain, and enhance their most important asset, their people. As always, before we jump into the video, make sure you hit the subscribe button, turn on the notification bell, and follow on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss out. With that being said, let's jump in. Welcome to the show, Mike. How are you? Uh, I'm doing very well, Chris. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, you said to me before we went live, you got man flu. So just uh, I just want to shout, out, shout you out for still coming on. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, and the, and the beauty, the beauty of remote meetings means I can do that without infecting people, uh, and I'll try and keep my my sniffles to myself. No. Does it matter for you normally? Mean though, it's an excuse to not do anything. I thought that was normally like the the. the... <laughs> it's a license to complain more than oh, is that what it is? Would about oh, okay. a mild cold. I think. Yeah, so I think s- that's basically what it means. Oh, all right. Okay. My, my, my wife, my wife might argue that my meaning is a bit different. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, heard, I heard from an Aussie colleague yesterday uh, when we were trying to, we have a big global team. So obviously one of the jobs of a leader is to kind of translate idioms across boundaries. And they yeah. man flu is not a concept that exists to make fun of people in, in America. But apparently man flu in Australia, I learned, means a massive hangover. Oh, uh, of course so, it does. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a parallel, but yeah. Yeah, it's a different thing. Uh so t- tell everyone a little bit more about yourself personally, because you've got such an interesting background and your journey to where we are now in your current role. Uh, well, I've done, I've, I think I'm, I feel like a bit of a poster child for career mobility, um, which is something <laughs> that I believe in very strongly. And I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit. So I've, I've done lots of things. And that's largely because I didn't necessarily have a strong view when I was younger about a particular career as defined as a tunnel you enter and you continue down it until you know you exit at the other end into retirement or whatever it might be Mm -hmm. and I knew I just wanted to pursue lots of different things and and pursue lots of different challenges particularly because I'm very curious and I always want to be developing myself so um so I've worked in the technology sector I've worked in human rights law um I've worked in international development Uh, I spent a big chunk of time uh, working in the diplomatic service with various postings around the world. Um, and now I've, I've been working for Pearson for just over two years. I came on board and started as our chief strategy officer um, and uh, was in that role for about a year and then moved into leading this new business. So uh, Pearson's workforce skills business. So there is a thread that runs through that, but I, I appreciate mm-hmm. if you look at my resume, you might say, I'm not quite sure I understand what that is. Um, <laughs> But I actually think that's, um, you know, I'm very fortunate to have those opportunities to explore lots of different things. And I think the whole point actually of what, you know, our business should offer Mm -hmm. is those opportunities to everybody. Nice. Amazing. It's super interesting seeing your background uh, and to where you are now. How do you describe people, your job to people, the president of Workforce Skills? How do you describe that to people? It's not not a job I come across often. (laughs) No, well, I mean, it's a, Pearson is a British company, but it's very much a transatlantic company. So, you know, first of all, Brits aren't necessarily familiar with the term president. Yes, that's true, actually. Yeah, um, <laughs> and you know, it's it's a grand-sounding title that people make fun of me of, but it's uh, you know, it means I lead one of Pearson's five business divisions, 
Uh, and the workforce skills piece is really just about the focus that the company has now on supporting people through their careers and through their learning and working life. Um, most people around the world will know something about Pearson, mm-hmm. um, and in particular because of our focus on um, you know, childhood education up through into higher education, um, you know, professional assessments, English and, and other language learning services. Um, but it's, this is the first time we've really prioritized supporting people through the rest of their careers. And of course, the whole point of uh, or one of the big purposes of, of the formal education system everywhere in the world is to prepare people for work. Uh, and as we all know, your learning doesn't stop there um, yeah. and the world doesn't stop changing when you graduate from from high school or from college or whatever your path might be. Mm-hmm. And so our mission is to support people and the organisations that they work for through what is the bulk of our lives together. Yeah. Well, to- talking of workforce schools, I, I didn't go to school. So I, I didn't have any, I don't have any formal education. So my, my, my journey started at work. So right. my, my first job I got was at 17. And um, so I, I kind of barely got through secondary school, didn't even turn up for half the exams, to be honest, and uh, wanted to get straight into work to make money to help out my family. My mum was a single parent with four kids. And I thought, you know, mm-hmm. college, university sounds like a great idea, but we can barely afford dinner. <laughs> literally right um so my my relationship with learning started on the on the job um and so i have no formal education so when i think about workforce skills so as i'm an example of that journey beginning a lot of people think you know go to school go uni college it ends there no it, it just it really starts there <laughs> and, and continues yeah. i remember a, a surreal moment where i had about 45 uh, sales executives that was reporting into me um, and every single person in the room had a degree, but me, and was having a conversation around skills and people were complaining that they couldn't do things. And I was like, just because you went to university, doesn't mean that's going to repair you for what's ahead. And so many of them looked at me no. with strange eyes and faces being like, what do you mean? I've just spent the last, <laughs> just many years doing this at university. I should know all of this. I'm like, no, I was like, welcome <laughs> to the visitors. Yeah. It was quite an eye opening moment, <laughs> actually. And do you find that that um, do you, in in the great kind of netting out of all of those things, do you think it's an advantage or a disadvantage that you? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of a lot of challenges that you went through when you were younger, but um, sure. you know, now now at this point in your career, I think uh, for me, I feel like it is it was an advantage because I didn't mm. have any um, pre 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 existing preconceptions of what it should and should or should look like. If that makes sense. My first uh, positive relationship was learn- with learning. I didn't learn how to read until I was 14. I, I, I was told by everyone I had these learning difficulties and I kind of told myself that it was a challenge, but it really wasn't the case. I just wasn't interested. <laughs> you know, if you asked me to paint you a picture or draw you draw something, I actually was an incredible art- artist, but I just wasn't interested in maths and English um, as well. You know, if you asked me to play a particular sport, I was very talented in sports. I just, they just want my strength. What the education system focused on as, you know, you need to have X, Y, and Z, which wasn't my skill set um, right. at, at the time. But um, when I came into the business, I remember the, the training, the sales training, it was a sales job. And they said, uh, it was a, they had like a cheesy poster that said, the more you learn, the more you earn. And I remember that to this day, because I really took that to heart. And it was the first moment that I really was like, oh, okay. If I invest in Chris, I can change the life of my mum and our family. Yeah. And that was the first time I understood. I was like, so the more I learn, the more I'm going to make. And I saw it. 
the more I started consuming books, audiobooks, CDs back then, <laughs> of every sales thing you could think of, I started seeing the improvements in my earning potential. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is real. <laughs> then I fell in love with learning at that, that point. And, I, and it's never ended since then. That is a really powerful lesson to have learned um, early on. Yeah, it, it, it was hard. I, I'm not pretending it's easy. I always have, I, even to this day, I do have a uh, sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sometimes I'm a little bit embarrassed. I don't have any for, formal education, but then I've realized that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> There's certain yeah. events or situations I'm in that I'm, I feel like, am I an imposter? You know, it feels, it feels, so it does come and go, but now I realize actually I'm, 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 I'm fine. <laughs> and like being an entrepreneur yeah. is the ultimate learning curve. There's always something new. Yeah. I have to, I have to know a little bit about everything. If that makes sense. Um, it does totally. Yeah. yeah. So to tell everyone a little bit more about the work, what's kind of top of mind for you right now? What are you most excited about moving forward? Um, so we're, we're just launching some, uh, some new services actually, uh, over the next few weeks. And, you know, we're going to keep expanding those as we move through, through 2023 and into the future. Um, and I mean, in a lot of ways, it's focused on exactly what you've just described, which is helping people to understand their value, um, and the value of the investments that they can make in themselves through learning to improve their their opportunities and to ultimately help them find the right path uh, to, that's right for them and so that they can fulfill their potential and achieve their objectives in life. Um, and uh, we're also making sure that that's the, the foundation of a set of services for the organizations that they work for, because we think that's where the most important problems to solve are in, in yeah. the world of work at the moment is, is helping people to be successful uh, and helping organizations grow as, as their people grow um, and recognizing that, we all know people are the most valuable commodity in in any organisation, and, and in particular in you know in in um, in the world of commerce. Um, and it's kind of it's really ironic that it's also the, in many ways the least understood part of the way that organisations and companies operate is, is their people, um, yeah. because people are unique and uh, and variable and, and different and, ch- and challenging from you know from one moment to the next, but also you know incredibly exciting and, and powerful and the sources of all great ideas and, mm-hmm. and creativity so um you know our services are, are intended to really bring some some uh some new capability into that space that we think looking at the market as we have been for the last 12 months or so is missing yeah uh, really focused around around data um you know giving people and organizations the real data-driven, validated, verified data-driven insights about their human capital, about their potential, and then giving them agency over that um, so that they can make the right decisions, the right choices is, is what we're we're embarking on. Mm-hmm. And I find that really exciting. What does that look like in a, in a practical sense? Walk us through, you know, for, for companies that may not be aware of how that works. <laughs> We've got a global audience. Yeah. Um, practically, no, how are you working with organizations? What does that actually mean? So we, um, over the last 12 months, we made two acquisitions of, of two startups called um, Fathom and Credibly, which some some of your listeners might have heard of. Uh, and we've essentially integrated those two businesses and their technology and services together with some Pearson assets um, into a single platform. And a single so are these like an LMS or LXP? Well, so Fathom, Fathom is a uh, future-looking predictive analytics okay, uh, and AI company that's mm-hmm. focused on 
um, tools like strategic workforce planning, right. you know, future capability modeling, job corridors, skills assessments for organizations. Uh, and Credly is the world's largest network of um, verified skills and, and individuals with verified skills. Profile. Good combination. Um, I can see why you bought them now. <laughs> good, good, good combo. Yeah. And so, so what we're what we're offering now is is a platform that connects all of that together and essentially helps companies to understand at the individual level, yeah, you know, what skills have they got in their organisation, mm-hmm. uh, and then look at that in a future looking context. Where are they today? Where do they want to get to? Where do they need to get to in order to remain competitive, in order to nice. achieve their commercial goals? And then how do they bridge that gap? How, how do they really zero in on the right targeted learning and development interventions that are right for them? Uh, and then essentially the same set of services for, for individuals, you know, employees as consumers within that organization. Mm-hmm. So it's a single platform, uh, a single app that allows individuals and organizations to, to navigate through that uh, with, with, we think, you know, focus on real-time, verified, future-looking skills. Amazing. Uh, imagine that, right? Like, the amount of... Uh, let me give you an example, actually. So when, during the pandemic, um, we lost 90% of our revenue because we do face-to-face mm-hmm. CHRO workshops, events, summits all over the world, right? They all shut down. I didn't even realize how many skills existed within my team until that moment. <laughs> so, let me give you an example. So... All, right. <laughs> all of a sudden, we're like, all right, we've lost all of our revenue. We need to pivot. How, what's going to happen? Um, so we realized, okay, let's launch, you know, like everyone, many people did, let's launch a, a virtual um, series of events, networking, etc. So we launched the first HR Leader Summit. It was an eight-hour live stream, brought together uh, 7,000, actually, in the end, chief HR officers, 60, 60 speakers, CHROs across seven panels. I didn't realize until that moment that two of my team members live streamed in their spare time. <laughs> and so because they, they were gamers, so they understood the cameras, the technology, the streaming, the editing skills for video. Mm. So we could pivot very quickly. <laughs> and we did pivot within literally three months that event was live and, and we actually 4 x our revenue in the business. Um, and actually wow. it's continued since. I didn't even know those skills existed <laughs> it, they weren't on the CV <laughs> and they, they were skills right. that were developed on, you know, uh, as well. So I just want to use that. It's a bit of an extreme example, but one that how many, you know, how many organizations have these skills that are sitting in their business that have no idea exists. And as individuals, do you know what skills you have and the value and the potential that they give to you? Yeah. Um, you know, you were, you were pushed into a, it sounds like you know, pushed into innovating by yeah. necessity, which is always a great driver, but, um, you know, I think <clears throat> you know lots of people have written about this. Lots of companies are, are moving into this space. You know, a lot of this is not original thinking, but um, you know, the value the value of human skills is increasingly clear to everybody. I think um, you know, partly that's because of the pace of change, and you need people to be able to respond to and cope with that pace of change. Mm-hmm. Partly, I think, interestingly, it's um, one of the perhaps unforeseen side benefits of automation and augmentation is that the work that machines and algorithms can't do is therefore by necessity the stuff that only humans can do yeah and also better understood than it has been before and more clearly valuable than people have realized that it has been before so the convergence of those things mean that everyone now understands that they really need to invest in and understand and 
and ultimately leverage and put to work the skills that they as individuals have got and the mm-hmm. skills that they as organizations have got. But they're all confronting the same problem, which is the one you had, which is you don't actually know <laughs> what you've got and what they're for. Yeah. Um, so before you even get into applying that potential, you've got to understand it first. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what lots of great companies are trying to do this. And, you know, we think we've got some really differentiated ways of doing it because of the power of our, our data sets and our AI, but also the, um, the the validated skills picture that we have for our members um, because of the data that they've brought together through the assessments and certifications that they've taken, which are really strong yeah. signals of what people can do. But it's a lot more than that. It's about ultimately empowering and giving agency to people to make use of that for them so that it can take them where they need to go as you and your team have done. Yeah, well, to that point, I think there's multiple members of my team have had multiple careers in this in this company in my company they've started and that's because we've mm-hmm. continuously and they've stayed it's one of our key retention <laughs> drivers right. of retention that hr leaders yeah. is that you may start in sales and you may be moving to production or video production uh you know or, or wherever like uh, the ivan who's uh, one of the the person i mentioned at the time he wasn't in he wasn't producing live streams <laughs> for 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 the business and now that's his role he, he runs runs the team and, and he loves That's it. Brilliant. He loves it because it was his passion. He just didn't realize he could make a career yeah. out of it <laughs> um, as well. well. We, yeah, we pride ourselves on, on hiring in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I said slightly conceitedly at the beginning, I feel like a bit of a poster child myself for career mobility. You know, that's because I've been very, very fortunate. Um, but what we're trying to do and, and really make available to everybody is the, is the ability to find those opportunities for you because you can prove what you can do. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we're coming out of a, a legacy model that's been there for decades where opportunity is essentially defined by what you've done. You know, what's that sort of long tail of history yeah, that you're, you're standing on top of, which is, you know, your resume, your CV is the way mm-hmm. that you communicate it. But you know, in a lot of ways, that's a compound interest system for inequality, right? Because we all know the first step on that, the first rung on that ladder is what leads to the second rung is what leads to the third rung. And if the first rung on that ladder is the circumstances of your birth and the socioeconomic status of your family, yeah. you know, no matter how, how great any kind of education system has been, we all know that's still the biggest indicator of future success. Mm-hmm. And you're an example of how that is just plain wrong. It shouldn't work but like it that. Is, but by the way, Maybe. on that point, it is like in my friends, I grew up obviously in East London in an area, the council would say the high, and it still has the highest crime rate in the UK, which is terrible to say. And most of my friends and family still live there. And their first comment that comes out of their mouth is, is you know, blaming and and to the and the part of it is right, but having that victim mentality of, this is what we grew up with, this is all we could, this is all we're ever going to be. And I'm trying to obviously say to them, you can be more. Like you don't have to be a victim of your circumstances. <laughs> you know, I don't have any education, but I still made something of myself as well. And uh, unfortunately, they're like really stuck in this mm-hmm. vicious cycle it's hard to explain um but you're right to that point that you just mentioned uh it is a lot harder and i'm a white male mm. so it just gets even harder when you look at my other friends yeah. who are black males or females or other ethnicities it's just that just that little bit more even more difficult to break through right um my, my wife yeah. um she, she's a black uh, female and she's experienced so much she works in finance not the most friendly <laughs> of, of industries when it comes to diversity and inclusion uh, as well. And uh, some of the stories that she tells me, uh, um, 
that she comes home with on a daily basis or you, will blow you away. <laughs> the things yeah. that she has to that deal not, with on a daily basis. Me. Yeah. Yeah. So we, so we think, look, I mean, we're not going to do this alone. You know, this is, this is what the whole sector has got to do, but mm-hmm. you know, we think that we need, we all need to move the world towards it not being about what you've done, but about what you can do. Yes. You know, what are your attitudes? What is your potential? What are your interests and motivations and what skills do you have today or could you acquire tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, by making that visible and available to individuals and organizations and leaders, you can just change this whole dynamic because there's so much untapped potential yeah. out there. And the thing that, the thing that I find astounding is if you think about the quality of, of data services and insights and, and choice that you have available to you when you're booking a holiday or choosing what TV show to watch or whether to order pizza or a curry, you know, on Deliveroo, if you, if you have that opportunity and compare that with the quality of data and insights and opportunity and services available to you when you're deciding, do I leave school at 16 or 18? Do I go to college or not? You know, what job, what course? Um, It's kind of mind boggling. The quality is so so different. It's crazy when you say that. that. Yeah. Yeah, When when you put it that way, (laughs) it's pretty crazy. And it all comes down to data at the end of the day. Um, Mm -hmm. What's missing is you can't build those services for people and at scale for organizations or for countries until you get the data quality right. And that's what's missing. Uh, and there are some brilliant businesses out there that are trying to solve that problem retrospectively. But, you know, our view is you've got to solve that at the beginning. You need reliable, verified data on skills and, and capability and potential and, and all and attitude and all of those things. And if you can, then you can establish the sorts of high quality, versatile, scalable, personalized services on the back of that that's going to change the game here. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's what Pearson is committed to doing. Yeah. No, I, I think our audience will definitely agree with you. We do every twice a year, we do our global people analytics summit, mm. uh, where we bring together seven, 7,000 plus you know, VPs, directors of people analytics. And whenever, whenever I ask them for their parting piece of advice, their first thing is always like, start with the data, <laughs> get the right. data, get the data, right. Figure out where this data lives in the business. Focus there. Because if you don't get that right, you can have the best tools in the world, <laughs> the fanciest tools in the world. It, it doesn't matter, uh, you know, um, as well. So I definitely agree with you. So how does that work? Then? When you partner with a company, is it, okay, everyone in the entire company has to do a skills assessment? What's the onboarding process? Just I'm just curious to feel like, yeah. what, what does that look like um, in the practical? So, yeah, so there's, there's um, a couple of phases at the beginning. So there's, a, there's an onboarding process for the organization. Um, where we uh, benchmark and baseline and, and, and ingest their data in partnership with them. Uh, and as part of that, we help them get an understanding of all of their different roles and their hierarchy and the skills that exist within those roles and, and give them essentially a kind of a GPS, a Google Maps system for their organization's skills base and the roles and within it that they've never had before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the ability to compare and understand that in the context of the world outside as well, because you know, every organization rightly has its own view on how to think about skills and structure and culture, all of those things. But equally, understanding that in the context of what's going on in the rest of the world and, and what's normal, what's not, what's good, what's not, mm-hmm. um, is a key part of that process. And the second part of it is inviting um, employees to connect directly where they've got existing profiles with us. Um, so, you know, 20 million existing credibly network users growing at about 90,000 a week at the moment. Um, you know, 
tend to be very uh, career motivated, highly trained professional people. Um, so lots of organisations have got people with those um, with those profiles in. And by connecting the two, essentially, the individual employee as a consumer, and I think this is you know to the point that we were saying about your staff, um, your team, people recognising the value they get from working with you and mm-hmm. seeing their time with that particular company as an investment in them is a really important part of this. But you know, so what it allows the consumer, the employee, to do is to is to make sure that everything they do while they're in employment with with that organisation for however long it might be, you know, is something that they they can. Uh, capture and own the value of ultimately it's yeah. their data and, and they take it with them and they can use it to think about where it's going to take them in their career so that's the first benefit the second benefit is it allows the institution the organization the, the company to really understand what their individual employees can do and have done and gives them insights into not just you know that moment in time where they're in the organization employed with you but what they've done in the past and what they're doing outside and, you know, when they choose to share it, you know, alongside, because they might often be taking courses, you know, in their spare time. And of course, this is all based on trust. And, you know, the consent there is very clear. The consumer owns their data, the, the enterprise owns their data. But that link between, you know, the onboarding and ingestion of those employee employer level data sets and the individual data is where we think real, real magic is. And we do that all very seamlessly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's how you continuously understand how they're evolving what they're learning that's the bit that i was wondering exactly um exactly yeah for those people that don't have those profiles are they doing an assessment you know for those people that don't have those profiles right so um yeah if you don't have any existing um pre-existing data from previous credentials certifications or learning outcomes you might have done you know we will like many people we will infer skills from from your role and from the information that you give about yourself but what we do is make sure that you understand the difference between inferred, inferred skills and verified skills because they're different. I don't even know the difference between between the two of what you just said. There. Well, I mean, to take, take the example of, uh, was it Ivan? Who, Ivan you know, yeah. you might, you might, um, you, you, uh, a verified skill would have showed you that Ivan was actually really good at, you know, video editing mm-hmm. because you had data on that. An inferred skill would have just implied what Ivan could do in the role that he was in at the time okay. or based on the roles that he had had before. Mm-hmm. So, um, so inferred skills are valuable because they're bringing a level of rigor to understanding what you're likely to have been able to do when you've done a particular role or if you're in a particular role, verified skills show what you can actually do. So it's a higher level of clarity and certainty, a higher level of signal strength, and you can make, you know, different kinds of judgments based on, verified information than you can on inferred information mm-hmm. okay makes sense when, you, when you're speaking to organizations what 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 do they most of them currently do <laughs> what, what, what's their current approach i know it's going to vary but like you know most most of the business yeah. you speak to where, where what, what does this look like right now probably a mess <laughs> it, it, it's varied yeah the flight version of mess is varied as i'm sure as i'm sure your listeners would would say i think there's so many different options out there that's what i mean yeah um there's so and and so many you know there's it's i think what's really interesting is that um we do a lot of work obviously with with large companies and small companies and one of the really important tenets of our approach is we just want to understand what their problems are. And because we're entering this market in a new way, we don't have a particular legacy that we're not trying to sell you the thing that we've always done and convince you it's now going to change your world. We, we're trying to solve 
well, we are solving the problems today and where they're going tomorrow. And when you ask, if you ask a company that's at the beginning of this journey mm-hmm. or a company that's been involved in it for two or three years, you get remarkably similar answers, which is it's all too fragmented, it's all too complicated, and I really don't know how to get the value from the opportunities and the options that are out there in the market. And there's a huge amount of uh, transaction and integration costs that are put on HR specialists to deal with what is becoming an increasingly complicated and and varied HR technology stack, right? They might consume from six or 12 even vendors that are all, all, all all might say, I'm going to solve your every problem, but in fact are actually giving you a piece, piece of the solution but connecting it together into a full solution is is then put on the HR department to do. And and that's time-consuming, difficult. Um, a lot of these services and systems don't connect together well. There's obviously lots of progress being made in integrations, but on the whole, it doesn't. Yeah. And in particular, when it comes to skills, they don't talk the same skills language. Um, and that that is what we're uh, helping with right now, which is to bring a level of kind of benchmarks, commonality to that landscape so you can understand how these things fit together mm-hmm. um, and, to, and to give you a true, clean, validated view of what's going on and what options and tools are best suited for you uh, to make those choices. So so I think they all feel the sense of frustration that comes from the fragmentation. I think a lot, you know, a lot of HR professionals are super excited about the way this industry is going because it's going to give them you know, uh, ultimately the ability to really show the value of what they can do. Of course. Um, and, and and how pivotal and vital HR is to the success of any organization because people are the most important part of any organization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's been far too long, I think, that HR professionals have been somewhat the poor relation at the C-suite table. And, you know, particularly in times of downturn, let's go cut training budgets. Let's go, you know, let's, let's cut staff um, because fundamentally you're seen as a cost center rather than as a growth center. You know, that's not how HR professionals see their role. That's not what they do. Um, but I think in a lot of ways, they've lacked the tools to allow them to operate in the same data validated domain as the CFO does or the CTO does and so on. So, so there's enormous potential here in dealing with that fragmentation and truly making these tools deliver the value that they have the potential to deliver. Um, yeah. And that's one of the big things we're there to help with. Do you think that the pandemic has accelerated the shift? Oh, undoubtedly, yeah, um, in lots of different ways. And I think it's going to be years until we really understand yeah. fully how. Um, I mean, I think it's accelerated the shift in understanding the value of people because of obviously the digital acceleration, Yeah, but also because one of the reasons I think, um, and tell me what you think about this, one of the reasons people are having trouble with hybrid working I mean, there's, all the, there's, all, there's lots of upsides to hybrid working. We know what those are. There's lots of downsides to hybrid working. We know what those are. Um, but what actually hybrid working does is it puts an even greater premium on good human skills. Oh, 100%. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah. and so you'll, you'll, have, you'll, you'll have seen, I think, some of the data that we've been putting out recently throughout our skills survey, which is about you know, the most important skills in work over the next five years um, based on our analysis of you know, trending demand for skills in job ads around the world and that sort of thing run through our machine learning. Um, and it's all human skills, you know, and the, uh, it makes sense, doesn't it? You know, if, if, if communication is one of the most important skills to success in work, if collaboration is one of those important human skills, success, if learning and development is one of the most important skills, um, 
that becomes even more important when you are putting a screen between people. And so I think that that trend, which is going to continue, all of these things ultimately are netting up to showing that the, um, the, the as I said earlier, the importance of unique human skills, the value that they have, and the need to be able to not just understand them, but capitalize on them and apply them is where where the sector is going and, and where we need to be providing these solutions. Yeah, I completely agree with you, right? Uh, we we um, did our Future of Work Summit at the end of the year, and uh, we, we had a lot of panels around power skills. We also use the same terminology. I think maybe Josh, oh, right. Josh Bursing coined that, I'm not sure. if we start, Maybe we saw it from someone else. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, we was talking amongst ourselves in a number of situations, thinking, you know, in the past, when you looked at the sort of core competency of a leader, you know, you would never have seen things like empathy, you know, leading with mm-hmm. empathy. That wouldn't even have been in the top 20, <laughs> you know, just a few just a few years ago, right? And how that's dramatically mm-hmm. shifted the role of what it means to be a leader, a line manager right now in a, in a hybrid environment is just completely shifted um, as well. So, the skills required yeah. have completely shifted. Now we have that screen between us. How much of it do you think is it? It's actually that the need has shifted versus it's just become more clear. What I think more is. clear, hundred percent. We should have always been doing yeah. that. You know, for example, yeah. I, I make this. I said this example to my team not long ago. Like when I was a manager, I was told off by my CEO one time because I was actually treating my employees like my friends. And it was crazy. I remember having this conversation. You don't. You shouldn't spend time talking about personal things. <laughs> you shouldn't go for a drink with them after work. You shouldn't be doing. We had like a little gym club with the team. We were able to go gym together after work, and and they're like, they, he was like, you don't, they're your employees, Chris. And I was like, and this is when I was really young, maybe like nineteen years old. And I was first manager. Mm-hmm. I was like, how can you expect me to spend every day with these people and not care and be <laughs> and build strong bonds and relationships and ask them how they are personally. How's their family? And I was so confused. Um, and so, so I feel like just the way we've been taught in the past was very outdated, you know, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, my team in the business, people were like, wow, like your team go above and beyond Chris to deliver. I'm like, yeah, because they care. I like, they know that I also care about them. Yeah. You're, you're just treating them like <laughs> just a number on a spreadsheet. And I'm actually like, I'm going to stay behind work with you and help you achieve it. And they're going to do the same for me. Some of them even spent Christmas dinner at my house. And I know that's a bit extreme, but some of them here were, were here alone and they're um, moved to the UK with no family friends. Come spend dinner at my house <laughs> um, as well. But it, it just, to your point, like, I feel like it was a needed shift and a pandemic just put a spotlight on it. Mm. And uh, if you were a bad manager, the, the hi, going hybrid just it just made it worse and if you were a great manager yeah. it went the other direction and you was highlighted that but those yeah. are the skills that all of a sudden became important um yeah. if that makes sense yeah uh, as well yeah so, totally yeah. i think i think i think that mindset is the legacy of a command and control approach yes. to, to leadership and organizational design and you know that's been outdated for a really long time but one of the things that is, you know, we're we're a company ourselves going through all these changes, like every big company is, mm-hmm. and um, you know, we're also transforming. We're doing new things in new ways. We're bringing in lots of new talent. And what you realise is, and um, one of the things I think that people rightly ask about thinking about, you know, the skills economy is, well, what about experience? Isn't experience also valuable? To which the answer is, yes, of course it is, and it's really the two things together that give you the magic. But you know, skills don't necessarily 
give you a clear indication about experience but equally experience doesn't give you a clear indication about skills yeah. and that's kind of the problem is that we've been trying to infer skills from experience um but the real magic comes from the two together but um when you think about the pace of change in the way you know in technology the pace of change in consumer behaviors and preferences uh, the pace of change in just economic reform more generally um experience in some ways is actually a detriment to dealing with that kind of change and this is this is one of the reasons why i think skills are becoming so important because they are about uh, they're really the, human, the the capacity that we have to drive outcomes really comes from skills you know in, uh, experience informs you and helps you fine-tune judgments sure. but during a period of change it's about applying that that capability and um you know because of how so many challenges we're now facing in work are novel and new ones because of the pace of change i think that's one of the big reasons why why skills is the sort of increasingly important and ultimately probably dominant mm-hmm. way of thinking about human capital and what people can do for yeah. themselves and for the organizations they work for is, is the right way to go mm-hmm. um and again the, the pandemic and everything that's flowed with it has just accelerated that. yeah we're already seeing um companies get rid of the hierarchy right and now focusing on the skills-based work project-based work and uh i've seen amazing things are happening right when you don't just stick someone in a silo yeah. and say this is what you're defined by <laughs> um, in in the business all of a sudden you remove the hierarchy and, and work on skill on project-based uh work it's, it's incredible uh what, what i'm seeing companies right. achieve um are, are you trying to help your clients along that journey when you first bring them in for example you mentioned each they share their structure you work with them on that uh, it is a big part of that having to change work through with them from a cultural perspective. Because <laughs> if you know, I'm sure if, you, if they start working with you, but if they don't get that part right, they're just going to fail. Does that make sense? If they don't get, if they don't yeah, fundamentally change the thinking and culture and remove some of that red tape that's been existing forever, then they're not going to move forward. I think, yeah, I think the distinction would, I would make is we want to give them the tools to make the right choices for them. Mm-hmm. Um, because each company culture is different. Each company is different. Each industry is different. Um, and we're not, you know, bringing along with this, a, a kind of se- a series of set views on the sure. most efficient way to run an organization. Um, we want to give those organizations the tools and the data and the knowledge and, mm-hmm. the, and the ability to shape it in the best way for them. Yeah. Um, and, but I definitely think to your point about, um, a more agile approach to deploying people, that that is one of the things that, that these tools unlock if people want to use them in that way, Mm -hmm. Uh, we certainly use it in in that way in the sense that we want to make sure that we're, you know, we're always optimizing how we're using our people, both to give them a really satisfying experience, but also to obviously get the most value out of them in terms of the output and the productivity they bring to their work. And so this, these tools allow us and allow clients to do that in, in a new, a more validated way. It allows you, you know, to make a choice. If I've got a new problem or a new opportunity I want to exactly. solve for, and I want to pull a team together to do that, you know, where can I find those skills? Who have I got? Uh, but also, this is the kicker, not just inside my organization, but outside as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because we've got this, you know, big network of people who are all participating in this uh, in this ecosystem together, so so we can help companies look inside and outside at the same time and understand how those two those two things fit together. So I think that's where it's really exciting. Is, is, is massive. Yeah, I think having both internally and externally, I think that's where it's really exciting. 
<laughs> uh, as well for businesses. What do you think the um, impact is going to be for companies that don't make the shift? I think they are going to be losing talent. Um, you know, they won't be able to hire and retain because, and this is the interesting, another interesting insight, I think it's companies that are on this journey. A lot of them have made the mental leap to understand that um, actually one of the, ironically, that one of the best ways to attract and retrain uh, and retain talent is to be more transparent externally about that and about what you're doing for people and allow them to celebrate and share, for example, when they've, you know, achieved a particular milestone in their in their career or in their learning. Um, and, you know, a lot of companies have been risk averse about that because they think if I share that, then people are going to come poach my talent. <laughs> um, and that, you know, that's always a risk, right? There's nothing you can do about sure, that. Yeah. You can put everything on LinkedIn that's happening anyway. anyway. Exactly. That's yeah. happening anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, but, but actually the most important thing is to be a place that people want to be mm. and, and want to stay. And if they, you know, employer, employees are increasingly consumers, right? They think about, we make choices about who we want to spend time with. Do we, do we believe in the purpose of the company? Do we like the culture and above all, do we feel that we're going to get something from the experience, not just a salary, but are we going to develop and extend our opportunities in our career? So I think if companies don't do this, they're just going to become uncompetitive at the end of the day. And um, and I think I think that argument has been won already, to be honest. Yeah, we're, we're already seeing it. And again, that's just another thing that the, the, the pandemic highlighted, right? Like I had saw so many friends and family members that I thought would never leave their role move. Uh, and it was, oh, yeah. it's, people had a lot of time to think. And they realize, is this really what I want to do? Is this really, is, you know, is this really aligned with my purpose and my why? And they're like, yeah, it's really not. <laughs> and, and, and it's also how those companies obviously stepped up during that time and supported them, et cetera, as well, was a big part of that um, as well. But I think you're right now, more people entering, even some of the young people I'm, 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 I'm interviewing recently, it's so like when I was when I was young, I just wanted a job or somewhere to work, and uh, now I'm getting questions like, you know, what is the why? What is the purpose of HR leaders? You know, I, I wanna, they want to make sure it's aligned with theirs, and I'm like, oh wow, okay, like this is now it's a very different generation in 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 some ways oh, yeah. uh, of, yeah, of of totally. looking at. You know, and they're asking me about their career development and training uh, as well, and a real emphasis on how are you going to uh, develop and grow me. You know, what does, what does that path look like? And I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> so I've got to get this right um, as well. So yeah, it's really interesting. It's such a fascinating space. So great to see the, the work that you're doing in it um, as well. And I know definitely speaking to CHROs every day, they need a lot of help <laughs> in, in in this space. It's a bit of a, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a minefield and there's so many different systems, platforms, integrations, as you mentioned, the whole tech stack itself, depending on company to company is so different um, as well. And who owns what? <laughs> in in the business i've got an interesting event coming up where i'm actually doing a a summit where i'm bringing chros and cios together to talk uh, right. so which is going to be interesting <laughs> to talk about uh, how they're working on on that because for, for these reasons that we're talking about as well because that, that has to be they have to be working in harmony for this to work um as well so mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting mm -hmm. so it's a fascinating space um listen before i let you go I, i've realized i could just talk to you forever at this point um, what advice would you give to, you know, the HR leaders that are listening? Um, you know, they've just heard, they've just heard this great conversation, you know, what advice would you give to them? And then also lastly, where can people connect with you if they want to reach out to you and say hi? Um, well, people can, can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, of course they connect me through, you know, through Pearson. I'm very easy to find. Um, the, I think the advice I would give them is, 
you know, you, your time has come and is coming. And, and maybe that sounds, you know, they, they would say, well, hang on, our time has been here for, for years and years and years. But what I mean is um, there, there is amazing change coming and, and huge potential for, um, you know, for HR leaders to, to be able to really amplify the value that they bring to an organization and, and, and be key, key partners, key drivers of, of successful outcomes in, in the business. And, you know, of course, that's what I've been doing um, for decades. But I think that what we're on the cusp of, as we've been talking about, is, is a real revolution in what um, data-driven digital services can do for, for HR and for people um, to really make human capital both human and capital, ultimately, rather <laughs> than just a catchphrase. Yeah. Um, and so that, that, I think, is hugely exciting. And, you know, we... Uh, you know, we're, we're humble enough to know that you know we're we're, we're one of many players in this space, um, but we we've, we've got some really interesting tools and services that we think make a big difference here, and we're very keen to to work with like-minded players. So people should get in touch. Amazing. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. And for everyone listening, all of those links will be below to Pearson and to connect with Mike. All of the details, whatever platform you're listening on, if you click in the description, all the links will be there. Appreciate you coming on the show, Mike, and look forward to doing it again soon. Hope you're all better soon. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks very much, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's been lots of fun.